Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your god. Hello everyone and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews. I am your Dungeon Master and host, Ryan Howard, and I hope you guys enjoyed my new intro provided by John Page of Project Fullblade. Uh, he and his brother Joe are developing a new RPG that is, like I said, called Project Fullblade, and they will actually be guests on the show in April. I'm very excited to talk with them, but in the meantime, John has actually provided me with uh, this new intro uh, completely free of charge, so that's cool. I like free things, and I really like the the music that he did, so hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I know, you know, Rumblin' by Trey Van Zant is a great song. It's, it's cool. It's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, but, you know, this was something that was made uh, custom for me, and I you know, it's it's time for a change. This show's been around for almost a year now. Let's uh, let's try out a new theme song. And uh, you know, I think this one's a keeper. It's really great. I love it. So with that aside, uh, today we are talking to Josh Unruh, uh, returning guest, a uh, good friend of mine, and uh, my terrain master in my Dark Sun game on Wednesdays. And, uh, you know, it, that's apropos because we are talking about terrain and, uh, you know, we're talking terrain with a uh, terrain expert, a guy who's uh, inked mage on Instagram and uh, his name is Dan Masucci. And uh, speaking of Instagram, Josh actually, uh, as we were running short on time in uh, today's interview, Josh forgot to plug his social media. So I am going to go ahead and do that for him. On Instagram, you can find him at Material Components. That's where a lot of his uh, terrain stuff is posted. There's a lot of pictures of our Dark Sun game on there. Uh, he, he's done a fantastic job with all of that. And then you can also find him at the Heroes Guild, which is his uh, after-school program where he does RPGs with kids. He and uh, Keith Batempa, also former guest on the show, have uh, done a great job kind of doing that throughout Nashville. Uh, it's something that a lot of people have a lot of fun with. Um, a lot of people in our group are kind of associated with that and, and help Josh run it. So, uh, you know, it's something that, that we have a lot of in, in our group. And, you know, it, it's something that I really want to support and, you know, continue to shout out here on the show. And then the last place you can find him is at Inglewood Armory. Uh, that's more of his personal page. So you can see, like, some of the coffee that he makes as part of his job and, and you know, other cool stuff. I think he's done a lot of leather work on there as well. Josh is a very talented guy. So yeah, uh, before we get into the interview, I, I've got a couple things that I want to talk about with you guys. Uh, the first one, I I really didn't want to talk about this, but there's a lot going on around it. Um, there's a lot of hysteria, there's a lot of false information, and that is of course the, uh, the coronavirus. It's shutting down a lot of conventions, it's shutting down workplaces, day-to-day -day activities, it's creating a lot of fear. Uh, 
I'm not someone who's very trusting of the media. I feel like there's a lot of misinformation and a lot of hysteria being drummed up around this thing. Um, and I just want to encourage everyone to keep the flag flying for gaming. There's a lot of conventions that have been canceled, a lot of events that just aren't happening. And a lot of us are going to get discouraged. I know for me personally, I, I'm already very mentally affected by this thing because I get energy from interacting with people and being social and, you know, seeing people face to face and, you know, just you know, seeing them smile, seeing them laugh, hearing them laugh. That's something that's very important to me. And a lot of that's being taken away from me with, you know, this, this, virus thing shutting down all these different social interactions. So with that in mind, I just want to encourage every single one of you out here to keep gaming. Keep doing the hobby. Do as much as you can. If you and your group are comfortable meeting in person, meet in person and play the game same time that you do every week. If you want to take it online because, you know, I don't know, someone comes down with the virus or you're just, you'd feel more comfortable staying in your home, then Take it online, but keep playing. Keep handing your miniatures. Keep messing around with terrain. Keep the flag flying. Don't let this virus, don't let this hysteria, don't let this misinformation destroy you psychologically. Keep doing what makes you happy. And for a lot of you who listen to the show, that's gaming. That's gaming-related things, so keep doing it. Hold on to your life, hold on to your sanity, and keep gaming. This show is not going anywhere. This time next week, there'll be another new episode, and the week after that, there'll be another new episode. Basically, I'm going to have to die from this virus for uh, for the show to stop. So, yeah. Rolling Bones with Ryan Howard will be here for you throughout the entire pandemic and beyond it once we beat this thing to death. And then there's one other thing that I wanted to talk with you guys about. Um, and, and this is only tangentially gaming related, but it's an experience that happened to me very recently. And it's something that I really love about this hobby of ours. You know, I mentioned I love getting together with people and interacting with them face to face. I've talked about this a little bit. I don't like online gaming because it's too easy to get distracted. It's too easy to feel like you're not actually playing the game. You know, it's for me, it's very difficult. I, I like gaming in person. And part of why I like gaming in person is when you turn people at your table, not just into players, but into friends. You know, Josh is on the show today. Josh and Keith, you know, what, before they even knew me, they came over to my house. We had a meal together and then we, we talked gaming and then... Keith invited me over to his place for his birthday, and you know, Josh invited me to test out the, the new edition of Heroes Guild. I go over to his house every week to play. And so these people are my friends now. They're, they're not just my players. The people at my Wednesday table are my friends. And the people at my Saturday table are also my friends. The, the difference there is that the Saturday people were my friends before I started running a game for them. One of my players is my wife, so obviously she's my friend. <laughs> she was my friend before she was my wife. And then the other two players, uh, Hogram and Jingfei, they were friends of hers long before I ever met any of them. And they've been friends of mine, you know, since I started coming around, since Kathy and I started dating, and then, you know, they were obviously in our wedding. So I, I know those people already. They were friends before we started gaming. But the Wednesday people, we gamed before we were officially friends. And for me, friendship is, is kind of a tricky thing. I have a lot of anxiety 
around whether or not people are actually friends of mine because I I love talking to people as you've already heard me say I I love interacting with them but I have a lot of anxiety around interacting with people because I throughout my entire life and you guys have heard me talk about this before I'm not a very confident person uh just as a general rule I'm I'm not super confident I have a lot of anxiety around whether or not people actually like me and want me to be around. And so when it comes to gaming, I stress so much over, am I a good DM? Are they having fun? Every game I always ask, did you guys have fun this session? Are you guys enjoying yourselves? Is there anything that you don't like? I ask a bunch of questions of this Wednesday group. Um, but this Wednesday, something actually happened uh, that that really made me feel good. One of my players, who, who I've been to a concert with before, you know, I, I, I'm starting to hang out with these people after gaming hours, which is really just kind of cementing that they are my friends. But one of my players got up from the table after we were done. He looked at me and said, dude, you're a great DM. And I don't say that to reiterate to you guys that I'm a, a great DM. I, I think I'm good at DMing. Uh, sometimes I don't think I'm very good at DMing, but I, t I tell you that because that made me feel unbelievably good in that moment. And not just like, you damn right I'm a good DM. I mean, like, I, I felt that in my core, in my heart, that like affected me as a person because it was validation. It was validation that all this hard work that I'd done is actually paying off. They love it. They're having a great time. And, you know, that just makes me feel validated. It really does make me feel validated. But then there was another thing that happened this week that made me realize that, again, they're not just my players, they're my friends. One of my Wednesday players works at a very, very nice restaurant in, in Nashville. It's called Etc. If you're ever in Nashville, um, go there. It's, like I said, it's amazing. And, you know, Kathy and I are on the eve of celebrating our first anniversary. Um, it'll be Monday as of the time that I'm uh, recording this. And, you know, we decided, you know, hey, let's let's go to this restaurant. And this this player had told me beforehand, if you ever want to come to the restaurant, just let me know you're coming. Uber there and, you know, I'll take care of you. And so Kathy and I go, we make our reservation. I tell him that I'm coming. And this guy, he sat us, but then he also like took care of us the entire night. And he had prepared this whole like multi-course experience for us. And I have zero experience with fine dining. To me, fine dining is Longhorn Steakhouse. I am I am a very simple man when it comes to to food and drink. I don't have a very uh, a very intelligent palate. I would make a terrible chef. I'm a decent cook, but I'm not a good chef. I'm not anywhere close to a chef. But this player had set up this whole evening of great food and, and great wine for my wife and I. And at the end of the night, I told Kathy while we were there, I said, I'm, I'm bracing for the pain. I'm bracing for the hurt because, you know, we'd seen the menu beforehand and I knew, you know, this check, this is going to be significant. But then the check came and... This player had not only done all of this for us, but he had done all of this for us at a tremendous discount. An unbelievable discount. This this is the most generous thing that a player has ever done for me. And it absolutely blew me away. He gave my wife and I an unbelievable experience. An amazing evening that we'll remember for the rest of our lives. 
he exposed us to a bunch of new flavor combinations and, you know, good wine, good food, like I already said, and just made an amazing night for us. And all because on Wednesday nights, we sit at the same table and I tell him to roll for initiative. Guys, that is that is my favorite thing about this hobby. My absolute favorite thing about D&D is the fact that it can lead to experiences like that, where a friend will create a whole amazing experience for you and your wife simply because you know each other through D&D, where a friend will be in your wedding, be a part of some of the, the greatest moments of your life, be there standing next to you when you, you know, get, get married to the person that you want to spend your whole life with. Both of those experiences for me came from Dungeons and Dragons, came from RPGs. They came from people who at one point were complete strangers to me. I only knew them by their character names at a certain point. And now these people are my friends. That is, to me, the most beautiful part of gaming. So that's going to do it for today's uh, little introductory rant. I hope you guys enjoy this episode with uh, with me and Josh Unruh and Dan Masucci. It's fantastic. We talk a lot about terrain. I think you guys will love it, and I'll see you on the other side. All right, Boneheads, we've got a great episode planned for you today. We're going to talk a little bit of terrain uh, but first and foremost, let's introduce our guests here. So returning to Roland Bones, ladies and gentlemen, the founder, co-founder of Heroes Guild, Mr. Josh Unruh. Hey, what's up, everybody? Happy to be back. And uh, we have a uh, another terrain expert on the line here, uh, here to, uh, to kind of school us all. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time on Roland Bones, Mr. Dan Masucci. Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm Dan, and I... I'm also Inked Mage, I-N-K-D-M-A-G-E, on Instagram, where I share my love of Dungeons and Dragons, and particularly uh, the use of the different terrain uh, pieces available. Absolutely. And uh, Dan, just so you have a little bit of background on how all this came together, I don't know how much Josh told you. But I am a player at his table. I'm actually running uh, him and some friends of ours through Dark Sun. Oh, awesome. And up until this point, I had never really used terrain. I'd used a battle map, but I'd never actually built out terrain. But Josh, being the awesome terrain master that Josh is has built out all the different terrain for the different sessions that I've run, and I think he's converted me. <laughs> all right. Okay, yeah, well, that's, that's very cool. That's ambitious uh, with Dark Sun, because before, you know, before I, my, my own terrain collection grew, I was using, I was running, uh, playing and running in 4th edition Dark Sun, and it was always a scramble. You know, you just have to draw maps and use the limited, uh, you know, amount of D and D uh, tiles for their Desert of Athas tile set. And I think that I didn't even have there was, you know, some Paizo maps, but I don't. I'm not sure if they if I had any of theirs at that time. So, uh, you know, Dark Sun, you know, for for people who don't know, is a is a is a world ravaged by. Uh, you know, sorcerers who have basically uh, used up 
all of the, the verdant life, you know, except for these small pockets in different places. So it's a desolate place. So, you know, and it's super fun. So I, you know, are you, and I'm just, I know this is going a little off the uh, terrain path, but I'm just curious, are you, are you home brewing 5e? Are you doing it in, uh, you know, a different edition? I mean, Dark Sun comes from 2e, which, you know, mm, 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 love. So, there's a friend of mine and former guest on the show, DM Dave, who did a kind of fifth edition update for Dark Sun. And so I'm using pieces of that and then pieces of some other stuff that other people have done. Uh, because Dave, while he did a fantastic, uh, kind of overview and, uh, you know, player and, and GM resources, uh, he did not stat out all the monsters. So I'm having to, to kind of reach to other people. To see what other monsters are out there that that Dave hadn't statted, but it's it's other people's homebrew. But yes, it's basically a homebrew five e. Oh, cool, very cool. Yeah, and it's been fantastic. Ryan's done a great job with it. And yeah, certainly limited terrain with the uh, desert stuff, but mm-hmm. I, I found some good ways around it. So yeah, awesome. Gotcha. Well, Dan, we are going to start things off uh, the same way we start off every episode. I'm going to ask you these introductory questions. So how did you get into RPGs? So oh, this good and this goes back. I'm I'm <clears throat> I'm venerable. <laughs> venerable I say. Uh, I, I I had used that word for you on Facebook <laughs> at one point you called me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you for pointing out that I'm old. I, I appreciate that. No, no, no. Uh, so <laughs> listen, I'm I'm only 21 years old in at heart and mentally. So that's, right. that's good. So I was 16 and my my brother Joe had, uh, you know, he, he he had just gotten out of the Marines, and that's where that's where he played D and D on float uh, for six months in in uh, the Pacific. So, and, and it's funny. I don't know if you've heard uh, about your Gygax number. Do you do you have a Gygax number? That's you know how many how many times removed you are from somebody who's played actually with Gary Gygax. So. Mm-hmm. My, my brother, my brother's number was one because his DM, his original DM on on the ship, played with Gary Gygax at Gen Con. So mine is two. So I was 16 years old, and my uh, my mother was uh, you know dying of lung cancer, and I moved with my father. He came up from Newark, New Jersey, and my brother switch places and he he was staying with my my mother and stepfather and uh so actually on the morning that my mom passed away and i went over you know my my brother and i hung out in his room in the back and he broke out his dungeons and dragons books i rolled up my first character valkar a human warrior uh, who only had a six comeliness uh, back uh, in on old Unearth Arcana? There was comeliness score, and it was because of a jagged scar. I still have this character sheet. So, Dungeons and Dragons was something that really was it, it, it got me through like this this emotional hardship. It really helped me, um, and just just for fun because I think this is uh, interesting. Uh, I this the town that I lived in. The next town over, there was a kid named Wiley Gates who killed his family. And it was, and it was said that he did this, he plotted this with his friend while playing Dungeons and Dragons. So that, that school year in 10th grade for me, the, the guidance office found a Dungeons and Dragons book with my name in it. And, <laughs> oh. and, and, and so the funny thing is they, um, they hadn't, 
they hadn't called me into the guidance office to speak with me about my mother's death and how that was affecting me, you know, but they did bring me in for three hours to talk about, about Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> and what it meant to me. And I really, because I was kind of a cut up in school, you know, I wasn't like, I wasn't like a, I wasn't like a good kid and didn't really follow the rules. And so I think they, they were worried that I was going to go Wiley Gates and I was just trying to explain to them that, no, 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 like this is, I didn't, I didn't see that at the time, but I, I they were just questioning me about it. I was like, no, it's great. My, like it's, it's helped my vocabulary and my, and my, uh, and my interests and, and interactions and all these great things. I'm trying to sell it. I was like, you know what, if I was a used car salesman, I would have sold them a car, I think. But, uh, but, D and D, they weren't they weren't buying it, and I think they kept a close eye on me thereafter. Yeah, satanic panic, man! You almost got swept yeah. up in it. Yeah. So that anyway, that my that was my introduction, and, and that summer, my brother ran me through a solo campaign, and it still lives large in my mind as possibly the best you know campaign of my life. And it had no terrain, no maps, no anything. It was all theater of the mind. Awesome. Now. Uh, I think you've already alluded to this answer, but uh, just just to go ahead and get it out in the open, what is your favorite game of all time? <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons, and and I, I don't go in for edition wars. I really don't. Like people are like, oh, and like I, I like you see that on social media all the time. Oh, got a question? What's your favorite edition? And like, why are they even doing that? They know they're just causing trouble. I, I love every edition. I could sit down and play any edition right now and and love it because for me it all comes down to the story that's that's what it's about you know as a dun- as a dungeon master and and you'll probably appreciate this <laughs> you'll appreciate this the ease in which you can you know dm fifth edition is really good I, which was also the case in fourth edition but you know i mean you don't have to keep track of you know so many uh so many feats and stuff but you know that monsters and npcs but all the same like i said that i'm not throwing my hat in with edition war i, I love them all mm-hmm. D&D's my favorite game period hands down now you mentioned that first solo campaign that you did with your brother who was your character <laughs> so uh i played a human fighter named Calamar Fauxen and I you know I made that name up I thought it was very cool and my intention was because humans in first edition you couldn't start out as a multi-class you couldn't start out it was you, you were a it was dual class and you had to go up a certain number of levels and then you could opt to change your your class and so what I did my goal was to be a bard and you had to take certain amount of levels in fighter and then certain amount of levels in thieves and you had to be of a a neutral alignment. I was chaotic neutral, but it, it, this was all new to me. And my our oldest brother came and joined the game for, you know, while he was while he was on leave, he was also in the mil- the Marines, and you know, it, this was all new. And I was only sixteen, and he had uh, a magic item that I wanted, or maybe it was a potion of healing, and I wanted, it, and I was like, oh, give it to me, and he wouldn't. So what do you do? I mean, you you attack somebody with your sword to get that <laughs> potion, <clears throat> and I, I rolled a natural twenty, and I chopped his head off. So his character, the town uh, resurrected them, but however, they condemned my character to death, and I was sentenced to death, and I was very upset because I was third level, and so uh, my, my brother had <laughs> said, okay, you know, there's, there's the chance for divine intervention if you call out, and I said, well, great, divine intervention, what do I do? He said, well, we didn't call him percentile dice, it was just, you have to roll, you know, a double zero on ten-sideds, and so I... That's exactly what I did. I rolled a double zero, and 
divine intervention. My character was spared. The, the It was a guillotine. It, it just it broke on my neck and didn't work, and my alignment changed to chaotic evil, dashing my hopes of becoming a bard, and I became a servant of Hades. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The guidance counselors had something to worry about. Holy yeah. crap. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. Worried about those yeah. murder hobo tendencies. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, and and this is a question that Josh, you'll be able to chime in on as well, since uh, this is a recent addition. Um, a lot of us, when we DM for a long time, we start to come up with NPCs who seem to hop from game to game. So, Dan and Josh, who is your forever NPC? And if you don't have one, who is your favorite NPC that you've ever used or encountered in one of your games? I've been talking a lot. Josh, do you want to feel that one first? Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I tend to not really do this, this thing, um, because I don't know, I think characters kind of should, should like live on in, in the story that they were in and it can be kind of weird to cross them over worlds. There are a couple times that I've done it. <clears throat> Cer- certainly sometimes it's really nice just to have a, a well like thought out character in your back pocket that you can just pull in. Right. But the one that comes to mind for me is a character that I played, actually. He was a PC and is now an NPC in my own world. Uh, his name is Romanar the Knowing. He was a lore master, uh, a wizard. This was 3.5 uh, Dungeons & Dragons. And, um, I mean, his whole thing was, like, yeah, he was a lore master, but, like, you had to get out in the field uh, and, and, like, adventure and find the things in order to be... Uh, the the like wisest and most knowledgeable, right? He he really didn't like the super like stay in the libraries and and uh, just study your books all the time, right? He was very adventurous. Uh, later on, he ended up having like a scribe that came along with him everywhere, and basically, I mean, literally a pack mule where he had just an insane amount of scrolls. That is the character that I learned the joy of scrolls with because <laughs> you play a wizard you know they only have so many spell slots and in the older editions they're more cruel um and and so if if you have the means you can scribe your own stuff you have a scribe in the party i just had him constantly making scrolls for me and the cost was low and so i always had the right spell in my pocket and so my wizard felt really cool and really powerful because i always had the spell that i needed and, and he just felt extremely clutch um, he's now become an NPC in my world as a, um, uh, kind of a high, very high ranking member in a group called the order of the crossed keys, which is a, um, secret society dedicated to kind of keeping dangerous artifacts and like certain things, uh, you know, in history and whatever, uh, a secret things that would be too dangerous to let out into the world, knowledges or actual items and stuff. Right. So he has informed several of my parties uh, in their quests that have been related to the cross keys or such dangerous artifacts that we don't want to be falling into the wrong hands. Uh, and he's, he's you now got the old classic, just old man voice. And uh, he's just a joy to play every time that I, I get him on the screen. Can we get a sample of that voice? Oh, yes, of course. Ramen the law master. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Forgotten more things than you will ever know. Yeah, terrific. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, so Dan, who's yours? All right. So, to to tell that story, let me. Uh, you, you're gonna be like, man, why did I invite him on? He really goes on and on. So, I'm gonna tell tell the story. So, I recently, uh, a friend of mine and I, 
co-authored part of the Nord Games book, Spectacular Settlements, and it was to be filled with like almost 140 NPCs. And uh, you know, and our, so our NPCs made it in there. Unfor- unfortunately, just because of the size of the book, and they had to they they had to pare down. They they did a great they did a great job. But even though uh, they did that, they pared down. I'm thankful that this one NPC made it in. <laughs> so uh, his name is Dingy Pete, and and Dingy Pete arrived uh, much the way many of my NPCs have, and that is improvisationally because the players suddenly wanted to do something that I didn't expect. So, you know, what I what I try to do is I always want my NPCs to seem seamless, like you know, oh, like they the players were going to get a bake go, uh, some baked goods. Oh, and there, there's an NPC, uh, and I'd be like, man, he had that plan. No, I didn't. So. Uh, I was uh, the characters in, in my game at this time were arriving at this uh, island, not an island, but it was a, a peninsula, you know, in the middle of a river, and they were they were going to a tavern. But one character was very much attracted to this tower on the other side of the river, and it was late at night, but he wanted to go across it, and, and he was like, "Well, I mean, I, you know, it's not going to swim. Is there anybody I can maybe I can rent a, a boat?" And so I created this character on the spot called Dingy Pete, who live. He's an old man who lives in. He lives in a dinghy, uh, this kind of ramshackle boat. And uh, and I be Dingy Pete with a terrible pirate accent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Dingy, and Dingy Pete, you know, is, has a love of the bottle, and he he always has kind words for people, and he seemingly shows up. You know, at, at moments when you need him most, uh, you know, and with with you know with some sort of assistance, and he 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 was popular enough that like he he shows up in my games. People actually ask him. They're they're like the, my players are on the lookout for Dingy Pete to show up in at, at some point, you know, like and if they do, they need to be ferried across some place. You're like, oh, well, we'll look around. Maybe there's a Dingy Pete, and uh, you know, so he's he's kind of become this beloved. Uh, you know, doddering character who, who, you know, he was once, you know, the, the, um, the, the first mate for, for a great admiral and later on was an admiral of his own ship, but then he, he grew disenfranchised with the king's navy and he became the dread pirate and, and, uh, and later he was swallowed by a great whale that, that he lived in for a year before being rescued. You know, these, his stories go on and on. How much are true? You know, uh, that, that's up, uh, for debate. Uh, but yes. he's, but he's, but he's, yeah, he's become a beloved character time and time again. In fact, I've been thinking about going back to Eberron because I love Eberron and, and, uh, and somebody was, uh, was commenting that, oh, you should use the Sky Coach I have. Like, there's, a, there's like a, a Sky Coach version of Dingy Pete. And I, <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 no. Dingy Pete's love is the sea. Skippy. Yeah, yeah, there's plenty, there's plenty of ocean in, um, in, uh, in, in Eberron. Actually, so this is really kind of funny too. Like, uh, like I'm a, scooby-doo fan i was watching an old episode of scooby-doo with my youngest son and and i swear this didn't this this was not something that like i i didn't even remember this i saw this one episode maybe like when i was my youngest son's age but shaggy and scooby are in this swampy river area and you hear this and it's me swampy pete and it's this guy (laughs) on this raft like rowing toward them and i was like i was like could I have somehow observed? Like, I don't even know why I came up with Pete. I knew why I came up with Dingy because he lives in it. So this was, I don't know. I was, 
Subconscious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It stuck with me, yeah. Swampy Pete. <clears throat> Josh, just since you're on the show, I will tell you you guys have encountered my forever NPC already. You you just met him. Uh oh the 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 big bad? No, not the big bad. Oh. Oh, oh, um oh, shoot, what's his name? Um Cromwell? Yes. Excellent. Okay, cool. Well, he's been cool so far. Yeah. And, and a preview of what's to come. Um, well, first of all, Cromwell being there was supposed to be just an Easter egg. As I told you guys, um, the stuff in the tubes was not supposed to actually leave the tubes. But yeah. because you wiped out that goth so quickly, I was just like, and he explodes. And so does the stuff in the tubes. <laughs> yeah, it was the classic case of us uh, kicking too much ass too fast. So the GM has to throw more stuff at us. So we uh, we made the encounter harder for us by being so great. <laughs> Sometimes it's just fun, you know, to let the players just like when they when they destroy something fast. Like that's that's also like a story that'll live on for them, like as Absolutely. players, you know, for a long time. But listen, I'm I'm not I'm not judging you because I do that same thing all the time. Like I'll 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 up hit points. I'll let them do max damage. You know. All those, all those tricks, but every once in a while, you just gotta, if they come in and just like put it down fast, something you just gotta let that happen and then they, they go on. <laughs> Again, as, as we, you know, play this game for, you know, game after game over all these years, we develop our own unique styles as to how we approach the game. So, Dan, how would you describe your play style both as a GM and as a player? I, I, I probably a bit of a nightmare for my, <clears throat> for my GMs. Because I'm, I'm really, I really like story, and you know, it's not that I don't like combat, but I really like story. Like you know, and I might, and my brother, you know, will still DM for me, and 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 our friends, and we get together for our, with our old film crew for a once a month game, and like, and there was a, you know, there was the War of the Bastards, and like who, which king really uh, had the claim, and then we found the crown and the signet ring, and. And and the and these documents and basically I, I wanted to pull a count of Monte Cristo. My thief was like, "This is it. I'm the king," and <laughs> like that would have been like that would have been a really fun avenue to pursue. But I, he wasn't. He just wasn't prepared, and it wasn't the direction he wanted to take it. And so you know, I I'm also a good player too because I'll I'll recognize if it's not going to go that way. But like you know, like I, I was pushing a bit. You know, I like so I'm so. I definitely push for story uh, quite a bit, and I'll, I'll I'll do things that just are really out of the box. But as a as a DM, I think you know I, I'm so I'm so grateful for the group that I have because they ch- they challenge me. And in my early days of DMing, I was like probably like most DMs, and I was you know well I think you have when you're when you're a new DM you you're either a no person or a yes person, and you're, you're yes because you're like you just. You, you don't know the rules enough, and you would just well, let them do it. I was more of a no person, where it's like, oh no, you can't do that, and like you know that that's not fun. So, you know, I try to well, I try to have a structure and keep it really fluid and and the, the improv vibe going as needed without them knowing it. I I definitely like to do be the yes and DM so that you know, but I mean, there but I definitely make it so that their their choices have you know consequences that are appropriate to their choices you know um i let my players they they went into a magic shop for the you know with this npc i created called godfrey brimble it's very much like needful things and he 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 would only allow one person in at a time the shop was very spartan he had a box and basically produced what 
each player wanted when they went in. It was their heart's desire. And when they asked, you know, how much it costs, he was like, oh, well, might equivalent over coppers. You know, uh, I can't separate you from your heart's desire. And they took it. And, and, it, and they were cursed. And then they thought they were just going to go to the temple and get the <laughs> curse removed. Like, you know, like, like the cleric is their bitch. And, and, you know, the first thing the clerics, uh, you know, the high priest is like, oh, I haven't, I haven't seen you, uh, at devotionals. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And then they're like, ah, uh, and 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 so he's like, they're learning about their their problem, and then he, and then you know, when he finds out that they accepted these items, he's like, well, this would be, this is no simple matter. I, I, you accepted this this item, and therefore you accepted the curse. I can't simply remove it, you know. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, they were cur- like, give you just a like a quick example. Like the one player wanted, uh, you know, a special harness for the hippogriff, and 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 so he he got exactly what he wanted. It had all these cool features. However. Like when he got ten, more than ten feet off the ground, he was at disadvantage on everything because he had a <laughs> rational fear of height. So, so I mean, you know, it, there were these, yeah, really, uh, you know, it's it's like the episode of Rick and Morty with a with a cursed gift shop. So, <laughs> so I, I, you know, what follow through consequences, circle back, tie things in, you know, sometimes a little convoluted, like convoluted, like the old. Uh, Raymond Chandler book, The Big Sleep, and the movie the same name. It's a, it's a great story, great movie, very convoluted, but it's you know it's still fun. Try and make it fun. Now we have some great memories of playing RPGs. I, all of us here do. So, what would you say is is your fondest RPG memory? Oh man, that man, that is that is a very 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 difficult choice. I mean, I <clears throat> in first edition. My it was a it was a party of spellcasters and basically ended up being mostly uh, one of like probably the best DM ever with my other best DM and I as players where he was an illusionist I was a, I was just a straight up magic user and we went around causing havoc we had a deck of a minor deck of many things that wasn't that didn't wasn't used we could keep using it and we would like spring that on NPCs and. The, man, so many, so many exciting moments. But maybe, maybe when we awoken, uh, we we awakened the Tarisk, or and I uh, to release the the soul of the the my character's love. I had to take the wand of Orcus and bury it beneath the tree of life in this sacred druid grove, and created the Mesnazarian desert. Mesnazarian was my character. Uh, you know, just uh, just maybe general mayhem. Uh, there. Well, unfortunately, now we've got to we've got to sink the ship a little bit and talk about some of the the worst aspects of D and D because unfortunately we share the table with well actually fortunately we share the table with all kinds of people um, and some of them we uh, grow to love and become some of our best friends but some of them we just don't click with and those worst people we've reserved a specific term for and that is that guy. So Dan, what is your best or worst that guy story? So I kind of like I vet players. Like if you're at my home game, you know, and <clears throat> so I have certain you know qualifications. You know, I, I I mean obviously like nobody likes a rules lawyer. Nobody likes somebody who who is you know consistently like pointing to the rules or or, or talking over other people. But I, I you know so. Generally, you know, but I mean, if, if that kind of problem were, were to arise, I mean, it would be like a player intervention thing where, where we talk and, you know, and we, we lay out the expectations. But I used to run encounters for uh, during 4E at, you know, one of my favorite hobby stores. And we, we had a, a, a really diverse table of people. 
and and people you know there were there were people who were really socially like awkward and everything so like you know my goal you know at that point is to was to make it a comfortable and fun occasion for everybody and i could see sometimes certain people were clashing so you know i i i had to like roll diplomacy check every time so i think really the 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 worst kind of gamer is somebody who infringes on somebody else's actions you know like my my poor wife is like she likes playing and, and like there's she doesn't know as much about the game so like when people are like oh do this you got oh you have that cast this spell do this and like i can see she 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 kind of like it's almost like here take my character and play my character then like it, it people don't learn unless they are able to play and and make mistakes i mean one of the first times i played at a convention it was the first time i played a wizard and like everybody was mad at me i had a robe of many things i wasn't casting spells i was fighting with my staff you know like but like big deal because i'm not playing it the way you want to so i think the i think that's the thing people who who um who kind of tell other people how to play and as well use the their information and in life and of the game to make decisions you know for their characters as opposed to like really embracing it and and using it as an opportunity to play somebody other than yourself now last of these uh, introductory questions I will tell you the answer to this question can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. Dan, if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Oh man, <laughs> that's a that's a that's a crazy one. Um maybe uh I got the coronavirus and all I ended up with was this lousy t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. If it's anyone's listening to this in 2021, I'm glad we survived. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what I would put on a T-shirt. Um, uh, uh, the this week on my heart and on my mind is are, are the uh, the victims of the Nashville tornado that we just had, which, which swept like through my neighborhood. That's uh, terrible. Was, pre- was pretty close to us, and uh, fortunately didn't hit the coffee shop that I work at, or like uh, any of the schools that I teach at, or the community center that I run the Heroes Guild at. But did uh, like level uh, like multiple blocks and businesses that we attend. Um, the response from <clears throat> Nashville and the volunteers has been absolutely incredible. Like I've been hearing people say that they've, that it's kind of, they've never seen this sort of a volunteer response before. Uh, the volunteer state is coming through and a, a like hashtag that people keep using is Nashville strong. Um, I would put Nashville strong on a t-shirt and I would give all the, the proceeds of selling it to the victims of the tornadoes. Cause um, man, the way that it can upend your life in a moment and, and how selective that they are. It's just crazy. I went down and volunteered and, um, yeah, just, you know, a home leveled on one side of the street and standing with hardly any damage on the other side. It's, it's, it's just totally crazy, but it's been inspiring, uh, to see the, the response and the love in the community. So, yeah. You know, I know, you know, to just mention add to that, I just think, you know, like, it's it's sad and tragic that stuff like that happens, but I think like through those kind of hardships, you you see people like come together, and you know there's people who want who won't, but like but you but you see like the the best kind of like you know come to the surface. Absolutely, yeah. And and when we we share a common suffering is one of the fastest ways to remind us uh, that we are all the same and what we all have in common. And, and, and you know and and. and even though like there's people with a lot of differences and you know and, and I have found the gaming table is 
is a place where, like, you know what? It doesn't matter. Like, you know, I, I know that, like, some of my best friends have different political views than me, but, like, we come to the gaming table and, like, we don't even care. Like, we, know, we don't care anyway because we're, we're friends and we don't let that get in the way. But, like, you know, it's, it's coming to the table is, like, just is such a great experience. That's why, you know, playing, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big video game fan. I like sitting at the table with tangible things in my hand, like terrain and, uh, and looking yep. across the table at, at players. Yeah, absolutely. What brings us together? Yep. And it's good that you, uh, you mentioned terrain and, and now for, for those of you listening along, uh, Josh will be reentering the conversation and uh, thanks for holding on with us there, Josh. Oh, no problem at all. I, I was entertained by Dan's answers and, and was yeah, curious to hear what his answers were. Mm-hmm. So to kind of start this terrain discussion, um, I want each of you to, to kind of discuss how terrain first started entering your games. Yeah, well, for me, it was um, it was that I saw the first uh, Dwarven Forge Kickstarter that they did with their Dwarvenite terrain, which was the the dungeon, the original dungeon Kickstarter, two two inch tiles. Um, and I, I basically just asked the folks at my table if they were interested in kicking in, and I showed them, because it was already, at that point that I saw it, it was like getting up to almost a, a million dollars or something. The stretch goals were crazy. And I was like, man, if we kick in this much, we could get like enough to almost cover the whole table. Like It's a lot, and you can do all these different things with them. I was so impressed with the modularity. Uh, that is like my biggest thing with terrain is it's got to be modular. Can I use it in many ways? Can it can it be uh, you know used over and over again in many different scenarios? Right. So I I loved their approach um, to that and and from there then you know did their second Kickstarter uh, was the the caverns and have like thrown in a minor on some other Kickstarters of theirs and, and have have since gone down the the terrain. Uh, <laughs> rabbit hole, I guess, and has be, have become a, a terrain spotter, if you will. I'm always kind of scouring the internet for for stuff, you know. Yeah. But yeah, Dwarven Forge in their first Kickstarter was was it, that's what got me the bug. I was not aware of their first Kickstarter, and that is a crying shame because the buy-in. There's never been a buy-in better than that first Kickstarter because what you could have spent would have let, like Josh said, you you could have spent you could have gotten in. Well, you could have $500, you could have had an unbelievable amount of terrain on your table. There's no way you can do that now, unfortunately. So, I, as I said earlier, started out with Theater of the Mind, still love it. And we would occasionally pull out some unpainted pewter minis and put them on just to kind of show specific places, you know, in, a, in an important battle. But that was very rare. When I, I took a little bit of a break for a few years, uh, you know, at, you know, in the end of the nineties and into early two thousands playing D and D and a friend invited me. He worked uh, part time, uh, at zombie planet in Albany. Uh, it's a, it's a hobby store, uh, to come and play D and D after he got off work and went upstairs, sat down and he had, and this was back before there's Dwarvenite. It was the resin. Dwarven cavern pieces. <clears throat> and you ever look at somebody that, you know, when you were younger, Mary, you looked at somebody that you just, you fell in love with and they didn't want anything to do with you. I mean, I don't really have any, I don't have any experience with that, you know, but I, I'm just trying to, you know, for, for your audience to relate. <laughs> so I looked, I looked at this cavern stuff and 
and I and then I was like, oh, what, what, what is this? And so then of course I I I went uh, online and I was like looking and I was like, oh well, I'll never have this. This this is this is out of my league. I can't afford it, but my heart ached for it. And at that time, though, D and D started producing their Dungeons and Dragons tiles, and I am still. A huge fan. I have I have every set and you know multiples of some, and I, it was so beautiful and so I was able to like lay down uh, tiles in my and I was DMing really. It was the beginning of my real DMing career, and the players I played with were playing with had been in first edition. They never had tiles. They were amazed too. So having those tiles was incredible. So it wasn't. I didn't get any terrain until. I was in on the second Kickstarter for Dwarven Forge, and while I was waiting, I discovered a company based out of Texas called Dungeon Stone, and for very, very reasonable price, you could get a massive amount of their uh, ceramic tiles, and they, they look a lot like the Hearst Arts tiles. Maybe that was the mold they use. I don't know. So for, I think, like 300 bucks, 350 bucks, I bought a lot of that stuff, and that was really great. And then when the Dwarven Forge Cavern stuff came in, I was, you know, that, that was, that was real, the real beginning of, of the terrain, using terrain. I, uh, prior to that, using dungeon tiles and, like, kids' wooden blocks, I would try and do 3D setups, you know, with, you know, with the Z-axis and getting things at different levels, but... You know the the first the, the love at first sight was seeing those those dwarven forge ceram uh, you know resin cavern pieces yeah and those are beautiful yeah those I mean those are the pieces we were using for the sunken citadel right Josh um well not resin the ones that I have are the dwarvenite which are right. which are their like PVC composite pieces that are like indestructible they're they're so wonderful uh, and that is really I think the biggest problem with resin is its fragility. Um, and, and, you know, because they're bigger pieces, they're harder to store. And also because they're bigger pieces and that was the approach that they maybe needed to take with resin. They, they weren't as modular, right? They weren't the two by two footprint, which I really love. You know what I have? So one of my players has dumped, I mean, not dumped, but I mean, he's had it here for a while. He, he acquired a bunch of like old resin pieces, not cavern, but like passageways and some, some wall and corner pieces for, for Dwarven Forge. And, and they, and they have the little uh, imprints where you would attach those little bow tie pieces so that they stayed together. Oh yeah. And so I have used those in conjunction, particularly you know now I, I you know I'll mostly pull out the passageway pieces to use, and they 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 are they're completely compatible. They don't look as good. They look great, but they don't look as good as the the later stuff with Dwarvenite. Mm, interesting. So. In preparation for the show, Josh actually did a ton of work and, and kind of wrote out some of the, the stuff that he likes and dislikes about terrain. So I guess I'm going to open this up now to, to well, Josh, but, but both of you. Uh, what are some of your favorite things about terrain? Yeah, I'll, I'll take this first. Um, I mean, I – well, yeah, a couple of things. One of the things that I love about terrain, and, and it's what has brought Dan and I together and has brought me together with so many people in the community, is that, um, you know, in the age of show, social media and particularly of image sharing, um, terrain allows you to capture a snapshot of a scene 
and like action in a way that a like that a you know mat with marker lines on it and stuff just really never can do. There's a meme out there of of uh you know it's like on the on the top it's like what the players you know imagined and it's like this massive epic battle and on the bottom it's like what they actually saw and it's like just <laughs> with the marks on it you know. And it, it truly is unimpressive to share a picture of, of just a mat with marks and maybe some, like, you know, mini standing on it. Um, so that is, like, an, a totally unforeseen thing that I love about the terrain is 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 kind of the shareability. People can look at an image in a moment and, and get what's going on there. They're more compelled to read what you've written about the scene and talk to you about the scenario. Yeah, that's that's a terrific answer. And... I'd like to think that that was on my radar, but like it, now you now that you've said it, it's just like yeah, that's that's it, and that's that's definitely a big one. As well as, I don't think I would have made as many cool friends that I never would have met, other than starting to share this uh, obsessive love of Dungeons and Dragons through these through these photographs of the terrain build. You know, and speaking of which, my my wife says it's uh, dollhouses for men. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> or Legos for adults, whatever you want. But one of the, you know what, one of the things that I really, really love about it is it, it's it's so relaxing to go and start building, creating. You know, I, I almost I don't even start with a map in my head most of the times. I look at my table, m- maybe the way a painter looks at a blank canvas, and I'm like, okay. I know the gist of the story, or I have a story written. Now, how do I build that out? How do I make it come to life? You know, and I'm constantly though I'm under like you know I'm, I've been increasingly under pressure to to you know keep upping the game. You know, it, if my players come and I have to put something down on the table that isn't you know a representation, I get I get I get ribbed and they're like, wait, you're using this as that. We're supposed to use our imaginations here. What's Dan? You're slipping, and I'm like, oh man, Dan, that happens at my table too. All of the <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. yeah. So it's 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 kind of like well, actually, you know. So it's been funny, but it's uh, but I really think yeah. I mean, like sharing and and just that kind of cathar- catharsis, you know, of, of coming down. It's like meditative. I get down. I'll put on a podcast I like or some music, and just build, and it and it and just the stress washes away. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great answer, and I, I feel that way too, for sure. Yeah. So, so I will say, uh, Josh, at at our table, it's usually Keith who who makes that crack. Yeah. Yeah. Who, yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I like to remind them every now and again to use their freaking imaginations, you know. <laughs> and of course, it's all it's all a joke and good fun. We we all came from theater of the mind, and and we still do it all of the time, you know. Yeah. I, I think the best way to use terrain is to really do theater of the mind most of the time and just rely on the terrain for where, where the like action is going to happen, where the conflict is, you know, otherwise you can end up just spending a ton of time building some massive, uh, scene that you don't really need all the stuff in between, right? Like where's the fight going to happen? And I've done that. And then it ends up being, you know, Oh, it creates a mood and atmosphere. And then I, like I quickly have to because they didn't do what I expected, and I'd never want to railroad them into it, that I quickly lay down a map or some D&D tiles on the side or on, you know, a fold-out table nearby. And and that's cool, too. So people are like, well, what happens if, if they don't go there? I said, well, then they don't go there. That's okay. Yeah, totally. So, Dan, you kind of alluded to it, so we'll go ahead and kind of switch that gear there. 
what are some of the downsides to terrain, and what what are some of the things that maybe maybe keep people uh, you know from from having a bunch of terrain and using it in their games? I mean, the the, the cost is clearly the 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 top thing, right? I mean, there's there there is there is the cost, and and fortunately, fortunately, there are you know, I mean, there are other companies that are you know that are coming in and and, and competing. One of my favorite you know, companies that is, is jumping into that game and they've got some exciting stuff in the works that maybe I might be kind of helping out with, uh, is Galadoria Games. And, and they're, they're, they, right now they have like more set pieces with some actual terrain, but it, they're gonna be, ha- they're, they're gonna have some exciting stuff in the future as, as is Architects of Destruction, which did a Kickstarter, but the Kickstarter was also part uh, to build their business and they're going to have their manufacturing in the United States, which is good because, you know, one of, one of the limited things, you know, like I love Dwarven Forge, but like because they manufacture outside of the United States and the high cost, as soon as they restock, it's gone that day almost, yeah. the things you want, and, and that presents a problem. But I think, you know, kind of a, a kind of a funny, and well, so, so two other things, you know, become, become an issue and that is the, um, the time it takes to break down your setup that you know you, that is less exciting and takes quite a bit of time and then you know when i, I so uh, i lost 50 pounds i started getting in shape uh, you know a number of years ago and you know the more i the more i saw you know like other people who were fit like it was like oh once you start getting trying to get fit like you're forever small you know, and it's like I didn't understand that and that saying until I was like, oh, I'm trying to like get fit, and then I'm just I always feel like I, it wasn't enough. It, it, that's almost how it can be. Like when you constantly see there's there's terrain coming out and all these things all the time, and you're like, I've got to have it, I got to have it, and you have to you have to step back and 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 I know Josh feels the same way, and focus on what you can afford and what will be the most. Uh, provide the most versatility. What will you use again and again? What will you use in multiple ways and 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 inventive ways and take something that maybe wasn't intended to be used one way, but you use it that way for your train and it works. So I think you know. I mean, short of selling your soul or you know, or maybe like living on air or ramen noodles for a year. I mean, it, it does it, it. It becomes cost prohibitive for a lot of people. You know, me not the least. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's. Uh, you know, Dwarven Forge was, it, is, and, and was, like, answering that. I think more so with their, their, like, first couple of Kickstarters. Their newer stuff is getting so intricate that the buy-in is getting really, really crazy. And, and it's clear that they're, like, at the, at the top end, right? And so really, it's okay that they can just market to the top end. Yeah, they're, I they're, think it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, they're Apple, exactly. Um, but, I mean, one of, one of the things I think to do with terrain is, is that I love doing is, is kind of like kit bashing, if you will, right? Um, I think there are a lot of people out there that are that are weirdly kind of, I mean, not to keep using Dwarven Forge as an example, but there are some people that maybe only basically have Dwarven Forge in their collection and they kind of feel like that's the only thing or they don't bother to look at other things. And oftentimes there are things out there that are better costs that like just are interesting that there's something outside of just what the collection that a single, uh, you know, creator makes. Um, and I mean, I find, I have a joy in like going and scouring the internet to try to find things. And, and because I've been doing it a while, I have a pretty good idea of what costs what and where the good deals are. 
Um, yeah, I mean, Freeze Dan, for instance, that you found on on I don't know if you found them on Amazon originally, but I recently picked up some of those. I mean, those are just names. Oh yeah. Well, so that was that was a those trees. So those trees, and this was you know, I was all excited about the new cavern about caverns deep because I I wanted to get the you know the pad out my cavern dwarven forge cavern pieces, and then they introduced their dread hollow forest, and I was like, gosh, I want that. I can't get that, and I can't get caverns. I can't get both of them, and I could. And if I only got a little bit of their trees. That wouldn't be sufficient for my needs, so I went more with the caverns, just like when they did their castle set. I just couldn't, I, I couldn't get it all, and I wanted that watchtower, but the watchtower was so situational, I ended up going and putting my money into the Arenthor Mountain set, which had the most versatility. So, <laughs> so I, I, I was a little disheartened, you know, because the trees look so great for Dread Hollow, and I couldn't afford them, so I went and I started looking on Amazon for what was out there, and I, I, I believe, I, I believe I'm the first person uh, in the in the terrain game to have found those, which is amazing to me. I don't think people were looking. As far as I know, I, I definitely hadn't seen them before. Yeah, and they were they were so reasonably priced. For you know, and they they had large versions, medium versions, and small versions, and I just I and I have a tremendous amount of their trees now, which is which is terrific, and I'm actually looking forward to Monster Fight Club's trees that are coming out. Yeah, uh, cool. for them waiting for that Kickstarter. So you know, I, while I wanted and and really just drooled over the Dread Hollow, it was it was well out of my my price game. I couldn't do it. It was either caverns or trees. And, and only some trees, so I went caverns. Well, well, I think a part of that is um, w- what makes those trees great and, and a, a technique uh, that, that is, I think, helpful to tell people about that I know you do a lot, Dan, with your tiles, um, is using um, using negative space as, like, positive space, right? Um, yeah. I have a bunch of mats that I use by a company called Game Mats. They're actually uh, the same people who did the Kraken dice, interestingly, Game Mats was like one of their earlier things. They're still doing the mats. They're wonderful. I highly recommend them. It's Game Mats with a Z for anybody out there looking. And they make, uh, you know, vinyl mats and like really fancy, even fancier ones. I use the vinyl. Um, and so to be able to roll out a mat and then to put down some of these pieces, either like those Aaron Thor Mountain, like rocky pieces, right? You make some rocky outcrops and stuff. Then suddenly this negative space on the table becomes playable space. Um, and it's, obviously way more cost effective. I mean, for me to buy one of those mats is $30 and it rolls out to a three by four and you're putting stuff on the table and you can very quickly essentially cover your whole table with scatter terrain, uh, you know, rather than trying to like build out a whole dungeon or feeling like it has to be with these fancy 3d uh, pieces. Yeah. And and the same with using, making use of the Pathfinder flip maps. Yes. You know, and they used to be called the game mastery flip maps by Paizo and, and using those as your basis and then adding your terrain on top and, and, and terrain from different companies or, you know, like printable scenery makes great 3d terrain that, that you can print out, um, they they actually they sent me a bunch of their cavern stuff for their Chlorhaven village and Goblin Grotto and it's it, and which is nice it works seamlessly with Dwarven Forge and and even if it doesn't you know your players are over overlook that as long as you're you know you're combining it to create this amazing scene uh, you know 
but again, I you know if you can't afford it, you can afford a, a flip map. You can you can you can afford some tiles. You know, it, engage your players with the story, and that's that's the way to go. People people look, and I always hear, and I I feel kind of bad. I don't know if you do, Josh. Sometimes when people are like, "Oh man, I'm so jealous, I'm so jealous," and like that's not what I want to inspire. I don't want anybody yeah, to be kind of a with a yearning where they feel like they've got to go take a mortgage out and and buy this stuff, or or that they they feel bad. I, I, I just want to share this this love, make friends, and 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 inspire people to like you know dig into their their hobby a bit. So I sometimes I get torn about about sharing that when I see posts where people comment like that. Yeah, that's that's one aspect, and we've talked about this on the show a lot. I love it so much that there are these these big name ambassadors for this hobby of ours out there who are you know sharing actively shouting their love for this hobby, but. When it comes to, you know, seeing the, the kinds of games that people play when you watch something like Critical Role, or even when Joe Manganello takes a picture of that table that he's got that has built-in character sheet areas and a smoke machine and stuff like that, it's cool to see, but there there is an awful lot of FOMO that's generated from all that stuff, and that to me is kind of one of the downsides of the social media age of Dungeons & Dragons, but also... You know the you know the the terrain kind of does inspire that that feeling of my game is not what it should be because I'm not doing all of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know when so I was lucky. Joe Joe uh, and his brother came and played at my house uh, for like seven hours. And oh, nice. Yeah, and you know what he. He said, Dan, where'd you get those trees? <laughs> <laughs> so if you see those trees on his table, now you know, right? So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, that's it, it, right? I mean, it's, it's always, you're always like looking for it. You see what other people have and then like, you know, it's good. I, I think it's okay to want things as long as it doesn't, you know, distract you from being happy with what you have. So, you know, like I, I've come to a place for, for me now, and maybe maybe it's like, well, Dan, it's easy for you to say that you've been collecting for a number of years and have a massive collection. But like, you know, I I'm happy with what I have. You know what? Like, I know that Dwarven Forge is doing their Wildlands, you know, uh, Kickstarter soon, and yeah. I just I, I just don't think I'm going to be able to uh, to have any to, to get any. I don't think I'm going to be able to get in. You know, and I'm, I'm gonna have to be okay with that and enjoy what that other people have it. And and uh, and be happy for them. Yeah. There's been a lot of mention of Dwarven Forge here, and I, I want to take this time. You know, like Josh said, uh, you know, we keep bringing it up. Both of you, if you can name some of the uh, terrain companies other than Dwarven Forge that you guys really like, uh, that would that would be very helpful, and and might even help people out there who are trying to build up their collections find some more affordable uh, but still good looking stuff. Well, like I said, Galadoria Games. And they're, they're, they are, they're tremendous in their design. And I should, and I just, I want to give them a, that little plug, especially because I, uh, I have, um, a special unique piece for my Gary, upcoming GaryCon game that is, that they produced specifically for my game that has never been made. Nobody will have anything like it. So that's kind of interesting. Awesome. Um, yeah. And, and I, and also, uh, the, you know, one of my, one of my friends who owns the, the, company Vorpal Board, Vorpal Board, check them out. They, the, his, my friend Thad from Vorpal Board has constructed a massive, nearly six foot long, um, you know, like almost 10, 10 inches wide set piece for my game at GaryCon that 
is a unique piece. Nobody, nobody will have it. It's going to blow people away. Um, <clears throat> so, so Galadoria Games, look out for Architects of Destruction once they start going retail. Yeah, their stuff is really cool. Look, look for them, and, and and again, you know, things like Monster Fight Club for Scatter Terrain, uh, Grabble Cast. You know, and tiny furniture for scattered terrain pieces. And just there, there are a lot of like great small, uh, companies on Etsy that are, you know, that they'll, they'll acquire, you know, the rights to, to produce and sell 3D terrain from Kickstarters like printable scenery and some of the others. And, and, and there are some amazing things that you, that you can get out there. So, I mean, well, Dwarven Forge is awesome and, and, and they certainly are. But again, you know, having, having, Variety is also awesome, and these other companies like Galadorian and Architects Destruction and Monster Fight Club—they're producing things that are going to meet the needs of people who want to collect terrain, and they're going to meet the needs at a lower price point, which is good. Yeah, yeah, they're trying to be competitive, and I think often, oftentimes they are. <laughs> tabletop things, tabletop things too. Uh, you know, they 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 do uh, you know wooden ships. And and really, there what drew me to them was their modular docks. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it now that we said that we shouldn't say it, but Dan, I'm envious of those docks. <laughs> they're, they're they're well, they're super reasonably priced, and I know and, I have my eye the, on them. And the, and the and the really cool thing about them is docks. I've used them as uh, scaffolding in, in an old mine. They could be used for so many things. So it's it's really it's a really cool. Uh, it's a, that's. Like that is something where you will, you'll spend your money and you will use it again and again and again. And you'll find excuses to use it. I think that's yeah. some of the joy of, of terrain is, and I think of, you know a way to use it versus not using it is it should only inspire you toward cool builds and toward cool scenarios. It should never like limit what yeah. what scenarios can be. You know, if you yeah. need, we can always fall back to theater of the mind. And if you need something, you can put a string across the table and be like, here's where the water is, you know, and people can stretch their imaginations and that, you know, we, we, we don't need, I, I don't need a like a clear cast ice dungeon of cavern pieces to, to show the ice cavern that maybe I will have happen once at my table over the next several years. Yeah. Just, just normal cavern pieces and just say that they're ice and we can all, you know, agree on that. Right. Yeah. So for for brands that I dig, um, of course, Dwarven Forge is my main one that I use. Uh, Mantic Games, I know Dan and I both have a bunch of oh, their yeah. their dressing pieces, and they're so cool. Their their stuff is unpainted, and that is always a big consideration with terrain, with Dwarven Forge, and with almost much of it is like painted or unpainted as an option. Um, only you can decide that. Time is money, and I, sometimes I really find that painted is the way to go. It just depends on it. I've gone unpainted with most of my Dwarven Forge stuff. Um, but Mantic Games have awesome, really affordable um, plastic, and they're sturdy. They're kind of like a slightly more flexible plastic, um, but I really love their stuff. It's taken me a while to get through painting their stuff. I'm only like halfway there, but huh. um, I, I threw in on their Kickstarter, and their stuff is for sale on their website. Uh, Game Mats is the company that I use for my, my mats, my vinyl mats and other stuff. Uh, I, I, I love them. Um, I've also found some, I mean, of course, there's a lot of really cool 3D printed stuff out there, right? If you have a 3D printer and you want to get into that, I think it's awesome. I know it can be time consuming. Not particularly that it's costly, but it can be quite a bit of labor. And then, of course, you're, you're painting it as well, right? But that can be very cost effective. 
and printable scenery, I feel like is one of the companies that's at the top of the game for the, the 3d printed stuff. Um, uh, I, I recently found a, a company there on like Amazon and on eBay, um, called Umbum, U M B U M that make like, I think it's actually some sort of a, like, uh, like, you know, hard paper or almost like a really thin foam core kind of paper. And on both sides of it, it's printed with nice imagery and they have like 3d buildings. And so I was, I have this wild west game that I'm kicking around in my head that, that, that is, you know, pertaining to a uh, Confederate gold that got smuggled out West and is a part of some uh, occult ritual of, of the Confederacy that's going to try to rise out, out in the wild West. And I, so I was like, I don't have any cowboy stuff. Right. Uh, yeah. So I, I was looking and I was wanting to find something affordable and they have a whole like huge wild west, wild west set of stuff that, that actually opens up. Like you can take the roofs off or some of them kind of fold open almost right. like a dollhouse, but they have like colored interiors, playable interiors and colored exteriors. And for like 15 or $20, you can get each of these buildings. Right. Uh, so, nice. <clears throat> I mean, I priced it out $200 buys the entire set of things and you would have the most impressive, Wild West Town. I'll, so, have to check, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. So, so the point being, there is stuff out there. There are finds. Keep looking. I'm. I always look on eBay. You know, sometimes stuff makes it to Amazon, and that's great if you have it. Um, support the small businesses on Etsy and other yeah. places like that. Right. Yeah. There's a there's an Italian company that you know sent me some stuff to check out called Game Six, and they have. You know, different. You know, like the the like a forgotten temple, a uh, dwarven mine, and different. And and theirs is like is a card stock, and you attach little magnetic plastic pieces that uh, hold down onto a a mat or, or a board. Uh, you know, for their later stuff and the artistry on that. I think you know that's something that's really cool about Josh. Things like things that are like the you know like the West Town one you were talking about, and like this, where like the level of artistry and detail is even greater yeah. than the than the PV the PVC stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's like flat pieces of paper, right? So like if you're getting really up close, you're seeing that it's not like tactile but like it's printed and it looks really impressive and colorful and you don't have to paint it you yeah. barely have to assemble it right it's like um you know that stuff your your dollar and the amount of time that it takes to like put it together and all that stuff is just that that is like really really good deal yeah <clears throat> and josh when when you get around to to running that wild west game I have a ton like a huge bag of those plastic dollar store uh, cowboys and, and Native American figures oh, excellent. that I got for my Deadlands game that went horribly wrong. No. So we can break those out. Awesome. Um, awesome. Looking forward to it. Nice. So as we're kind of, as we're kind of wrapping up here, uh, kind of running at the end, the end of our time, there's, there's one big question that we've, uh, kind of yet to answer here. And, uh, you know, when you amass a, a large amount of, minis or terrain there's one consideration that you always have to keep in mind where do you put it so josh i've seen your storage solution uh but i do want you to talk about it a little bit dan i also want to hear where do you put all of this stuff so well i'm i'm kind of lucky i have a it's not a finished basement but it's not a dungeon and uh so i i have i bought i think there's like maybe five of these five-tiered plastic shelves from Walmart. And what I do, and I just 
I buy containers, like, you know, just, just plastic containers that fit them. And I, and I, I'll keep them sectioned. Oh, if this is caverns, this is dungeons. And then within that, I'll break it down. Here are straight wall pieces. Here are corners. Here are floors. Here are stair pieces. And so I, so I can always remember like, okay, that's where these are. That's where they are returned to. So I'm not scrambling. So I try and keep it broken down into each each section, you know, so the mountains are in their own section, the cavern elevation pieces are their own, and and so on. Yeah, I, I'd argue that that organization is really a necessity to having a, a collection and to being able to, to, like, use it so that you know in the moment where to reach for for that thing, because setting these things up is totally a joy, but it can be pretty time-consuming, and if you don't know where the pieces are that you're looking for, it's not going to be fun, and it's going to take you too long digging through things, for sure. Yeah, I have a. Um, actually, it's from Joanne Fabric, but but it's a it's a um, plastic storage uh, vertical kind of storage shelf, and and it's a bit modular in that I took, I think two of them, or maybe two and a half of them, and have stacked them on top of each other to make a like seriously six foot tall tower of Dwarven Forge. But what I love about them is it's it's individual. Um, they're kind of like almost like drawers that pull out and they pull all the way out. So you can pull it all the way out and set it on the table and pull the pieces out that you need and then slide right. in the drawer. Right. And they're the perfect height that if you set the Dwarven Forge tiles down, like the walls on their side, they fit in there and then you can line them all together and you can fit just an incredible amount of them because they, they kind of fit in a snug way, but that actually helps with the organization of the pieces. Yeah. Right? It kind of keeps them where they need to be. And I know exactly where to go. Uh, they just really happen to be the perfect size. Uh, so the majority of my stuff is is in that tower, the tower did Dwarven Forge, uh, and and then you know I have some some boxes similar and like shelves kind of similar to what Dan has uh, with with kind of various terrain on it, and then I have several shelves of a bookshelf that I've dedicated mostly to my miniatures, but a bunch of my extra terrain stuff like my wagons and my horses and all this other junk ends up making it over there. My trees right now are occupying a shelf. So while, while I while I joke that I'm a master builder, I, I'm actually not particularly handy at really like real life building. And so I, I don't really have an extensive collection of tools. I have it's limited to one bag. But my wife was showing a friend, you know, who hadn't seen our house, and she came, took her down to the basement, and her friend looked at, at the wall and the and the little containers and minis and everything. And she said, she said, "Oh my goodness, your husband is so neat with all of his tools." And my wife said. <laughs> She's kind of like shook her head and she's like, those are his toys. Those are toys. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I definitely refer to them to my, as my toys uh, unabashedly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I, it's a, like, my kids, you know, can I borrow, borrow your toys? No, no, no. You've got your own. Actually, you know, for presents and my, you know, we've gotten the boys, they our boys, one's 22, one's 12, and they've developed their own collection of, I ended up giving, dividing up my dungeon stone uh, pieces among them. So they've got a bunch of that. And then my brother, who I, he became a Dwarven Forge addict, and he's kind of an elitist, like, you know, he, he'll only wear Nikes, he only wears Levi's, he only has Dwarven Forge. So <laughs> he, like, he went nuts with the amount he bought. And then, like, but, but he's, like, a very generous person, too. So, you know, he's, like, extra pieces, like, he's given to me, and he's, like, bought, like, 
you know, sets for both the boys. So it, it's kind of ridiculous. My 12 year old has more 3D terrain and miniatures probably than, you know, like a lot of gamers out there. And I'm just like, I'm just like, good grief. Yeah, maybe it go, is a bit of a sickness. <laughs> yeah, go go play with your yeah, play with your toys. You've got some. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, like dragon sickness, right? With the with gold, man. Oh. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And and minis are the exact same way. And, yeah, minis. It's crack. It's crack for it's crack for nerds. I mean, come on. When the Reaper thing comes around, you know, or, you know, with with their Kickstarters, do I need another hundred minis? Probably not, but. I'm gonna be in on it. Yeah, Reaper Bones. Yeah, those are always a great deal. Yeah, yeah and I'm I'm just now in the the final two days of a uh, a Kickstarter for a Batman the Animated Series uh, oh. adventure. It's a IDW Games Og system uh, for for Batman the Animated Series, but it's gonna be like hundreds of little Batman. Uh, related minis, and I just fun. couldn't pass that up. Especially if it, it follows the artwork from that amazing series, so that's awesome. Yep, and and one other thing that we must mention before we wrap it up is another thing that it takes for for all of us to have our collections of of various assorted nonsense is uh, the the love and support of some fantastic partners who are willing to give up space. So that we can proudly display our uh, our collections. Yeah, you know what? For for sure. And here, here. I, I my my wife is incredibly supportive, and you know, I mean, I, her eyes glaze over sometimes when I'm talking, and I think she dreads when there's a Kickstarter Dwarven Forge because I'm like I'm like I'm, I'm like looking at my budget, and I'm like constantly rearranging, and I'm and I'm like, oh, what do I do this, and I get that, and like you know, because I'm because I'm needling her to be like, what's okay to spend? And, and, uh, you know, but she, yeah, she's, she's totally supportive and, you know, but like, listen, I, I don't drink. I, I'm not going out to the bar. I'm not like hitting up the nudie joint, you know, like, so like, you know, m- my thing is I'm downstairs on a Friday night with my, with my brother and my oldest son and my, be- and some of my best friends playing games. So, uh, yeah, support is good. Yeah, that's right. And I get a ton of support from, from Chandon, <laughs> my girlfriend. I mean, I, even so much that, you know, I, I don't have, uh, I don't have a basement. I don't have a place that is kind of away from everything. So my stuff is on the dining room table. I do have this awesome dining room table. I, I don't think I talked about it on your show last time, Ryan, but it, it is a, um, it, it basically resembles a castle door that's laid down, right? And then it has a piece of glass over the top of it. And the glass is about like three inches or so off from the, the, um, the like door part, right? So you can slide your books and your papers underneath. And so you have this massive, just nice flat playable surface. Uh, but sometimes, you know, if we don't end up getting through an encounter or if I've built a build, a big thing, like my build will stay up all week on the dining room table and we walk by it every day when we can't come through the door. And yeah, that, that's a, that, you know, she gives me a lot of grace in that. But, but to be fair, I give her grace when she tornadoes <laughs> through the house in a, you know, storm to get ready for some show that she's going to go perform in or something. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, it's always the, the give and take, right? Yeah. Yeah. Compromise for sure. And, and yeah, I mean, just, just love, uh, that these terrain pieces that we can bring them to the table and really heighten the experience. That's really what it's all about, you know? I, I love that it helps everybody have a, m- a more similar like image in their minds together, and that we can like get deeper into it, interact with the the like environment more, uh, and like find a, re- a deeper uh, you know story in it. With the scene, the scene is a character, right? People need to 
of scenes as characters and that they have almost personalities or they have elements that they should be adding to any encounter. Uh, this terrain just does such a great, it, it helps a lot with it, I guess. And, and it's a great legacy. It can either be passed down from generation to generation, or as I plan to have a mausoleum built of all my terrain for <laughs> preserved in. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Excellent. My plans to be cremated, but maybe if, if they could, you know, put put little pieces of my ashes in some terrain yeah, or, yeah. or in some mini, <laughs> miniature paint or something like that. <laughs> yeah, mi- mix it into the mold of with some dwarvenite and and make some pieces cast with my ashes on them, yeah. or some undead or some undead minis, and be like, this is actually the ashes yeah. from a dead guy. Oh, people <laughs> would pay so much money for that. Oh my oh, god! Oh, good lord. <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> we could start that Kickstarter right now. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah, you're like start with pets. Your pets live on for eternity. Ooh, and oh, good grief! <laughs> this took a turn for the worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, this has been a great conversation. Talking a little bit about some of the the benefits, the downsides, the upsides, everything about terrain. I'm glad that we were able to make this work, and I'm glad that you guys were, were able to come on the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for uh, thinking about me and having me on. This is, this is really a, it's a fun topic to talk about, and it gives my wife a break uh, from me talking uh, to her about it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I could just talk about this stuff all day, so just any any time, Ryan, you let me know. Yeah. Absolutely. We've played enough games together, Josh, that I, I can definitely see you becoming a mainstay on the show at some point. Oh, it would just be my pleasure, man. Absolutely. Well, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. Uh, next week, we are going back to the ever-generous well of Frog God Games. Uh, this time, we're talking with Matt Finch, the creator of Swords and Wizardry and one of the authors of the Tome of the Tome of Adventure Design. Actually, very hard to say, but a great book. Awesome. And so Matt and I are going to be talking about his recent Kickstarter and all the, the cool stuff that Frog God has coming in 2020. Uh, so until then, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I am so unbelievably grateful that you decided to roll your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>